Okay, so in this Daily Cyber, I'm really excited to be interviewing Ted Demopoulos. Uh, Ted Demopoulos' uh, professional background includes over 30 years of experience in information security and business, including over 25 years as an independent consultant. Ted helped start a successful information security company, was the CTO, Chief Technical Officer, at a textbook failure of a software startup, and has advised several other startups. He is a frequent speaker at conferences, conventions, and other business events, author of InfoSec Rockstar, How to Accelerate Your Career Because Geek Will Only Get You So Far, uh, two other books as well, and another book that he, he talks about in this interview on, the, on uh, he's working on. Ted conducts leadership and information security boot camps uh, for the SANS Institute and is the principal of Demopolis Associates, a consulting organization organization specialized in information security. So I'm so excited to share this interview with you, uh, talking about how to really become a cybersecurity consultant and kind of the ins and outs. So that's really what this podcast is about. So let's hack at it. Hi, Ted. How's it going? Hey, Brandon. Nice to talk to you again. It's wonderful. I know. I think the last time we saw each other was in uh, Atlantic uh, Security Conference in Halifax. Yeah, that was a year and a half, two years ago. It was a while back. About two years ago, you were the keynote speaker. Yeah, and that was a great show. I had a great time there. Oh, and, and as you know, like going from conference to conference, so, you meet so many great people from manufacturers to IT people to new and up and coming cybersecurity. Cause I know with the Atlantic security conference, a lot of their uh, students from the university there have come to that conference as well. You do, you get a lot of great ideas. You get a lot of motivation. The networking's fantastic. And that's not even considering the content of the talks, which are fantastic. I know. And they get people from like all over the world, though. It's not just actually local Halifax. It's people from the United States, Canada, all fly in just to, to speak at that conference. Yeah, I was hoping to make it again this year, but uh, my schedule is often is, uh, is hectic. Hectic, right. great. I'm sure it's hectic good. Now, let's talk a little bit about that. I know you've been in the industry for 30 years in cybersecurity. Uh, you've transitioned over to helping people and educating people about cybersecurity consultant. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because I know my audience and the people that are, are watching me and follow me ask this question constantly is, you know, I'm looking to get in the cybersecurity field. You know, what about being a cybersecurity consultant? How does that work? Sure. Well, you know, it was almost two years ago when LinkedIn sent me a message and said something like, congratulations, you've been with Demopolis Associates for 28 years. Right. What? I've been consulting for 28 years? Like, no way. My right. children insist I don't even have a t mentality of a 28-year-old. Of a My daughters think I'm immature and they're, you know, 16 and 17. Right. And then, you know, I started thinking, and what I've been asked the most about over the last at least 20 years hasn't been on, you know, how asymmetric crypto works or, you know, how to do pen testing better or question, technical questions on Netcat or Metasploit, but have been about consulting. You know, how do you get clients? How do you set pricing? And I've always said the same thing. I've always said, I don't know. 
this is what works for me, but right. I don't really know. I know it works for me and it works well. And once that happened, I decided I should start asking other people what works for them. And now I've probably asked, I've got at least over a hundred friends that are consultants in security. So I started asking other people, how do you get clients? How do you set pricing? How do you run the business? What do you do? And consulting is a business. And I started gathering all that information together, getting some great information. It turns out what I do works for a lot of people, works for most people, but people do other things as well. And that's become a course. And that's also going to become a book, which stalled for about three weeks when I was traveling extensively. And I, I started writing again two nights ago. So, Right. Now, do you see like, uh, because you're talking about cybersecurity and then being a consultant, what would you say is the, you know, the interest? Is it 50-50? Like, is it a big drive for consult? Or do you find more people want to be, you know, hired by a company, one of the manufacturers? Like, what do you kind of see where people are leading towards? What I find is most people, when they've been in the field for a little while, get very interested in being a consultant and having more control of what they do. Mm -hmm. And there's three things people are, are really interested in. First and foremost, people want to be able to pick the projects of the work they work on. People are, are really interested in that. that that's number one. I've taken a, taken a couple of pretty big surveys. And the second one... Well, hold on. Let's actually talk about number one because that's actually very important, right? You know, people that are listening to this about talking about projects, like what projects do you think, you know, interest them on that side? Would it be like, are we talking pen testing? Are we talking, you know, policies, procedures, and governance? Like what would be kind of that interest? Well, that's a good question. There are, there are some hot areas, you know, at any point in time, but we have different interests. And for example, I, I don't do pen testing anymore. I've, I've done it in the past. Uh, I've moved on. It's a great field. But I think to do that, you have to pretty much concentrate in that pretty much full time. And I have the interest, but I still have people asking me. Right. Occasionally, I'll have clients that try to drag me into, let's say, a policy writing project. Now, writing policy isn't necessarily that exciting, but it can be if you're making a big positive change in an organization. Right. Um, and, you know, what I find exciting and what I base the projects I get on is where I can make a positive impact. Okay. I have a potential client near me and I, I fly to most clients. I'm in New Hampshire. There's not a lot of high tech or big business here. And um, there's an organization I can drive to. They're about an hour, hour, 15 minutes away. And uh, I've got good friends that work there. And they keep making noises about hiring me, hiring me to come in. And I've gone and talked to them a few times. And trust me, their money's good. <laughs> right. I'd love to work, drive there, maybe stay in a hotel occasionally, but be home most nights. Right. But I don't think I can make a positive difference there. Okay. About three to six months, they have some sort of an incident and they run around in panic. Last time, it was malware in their network that they, a lot of productivity was lost because a lot of the systems were down. But they seem to think they can just throw money at me and the problem will go away. And right. I'm like, no, that's what 
not what you need to do. You're going to have incidents. We need some sort of a plan and to train your people on the plan. So when things happen, you can handle it. But I know they're not going to just from talking to them. They still think that they can just throw money at somebody and their problems will go away. And the world doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> For sure. And so I don't want to go do that project because I don't see it as making a positive difference. Okay. So, and the reason why I'm asking that is because a lot, you know, from what I'm hearing, the question is, okay, look, I want to go into consulting. So what do I do? You know, how do I go? What's, what's the area? And they're asking more as trying to break in and transition to the industry versus like you said, being in the industry for five to 10 years and being kind of an expert in that one area. So that's really why I wanted to ask that question because as people are looking at goal setting for the next five years, yeah, maybe you need to work for a company and, you know, hone in your skills. And then if you want to go as a consultant, that's why I'm asking you, what would you think is that strategy if people want to go out on their own? Well, certainly working for companies that provide consulting. Is right. Now, this could be a, a pure consulting company, and there's a lot of them, or one of the vendors are similar. Right. First job was for a small vendor that was, origin, that was eventually bought by Hewlett Packard. And they would send me places to both do training and consulting. So when I first started consulting, I was pretty green, you know, and I was being sent out by, by Apollo computer to go to various clients. Right. And, and it it was great at, you know, you learn a lot very quickly and that's, that's a great approach. And I love doing that. What I didn't like as much although it was a great job, both at Apollo and when Hewlett Packard bought us, it was a lack of control. You know, I get sent places I didn't want to go. Two right. things I didn't want to. Now, admittedly, sometimes for my clients, I'll, I'll take one for the team. They want me to go somewhere or do something that's just not that exciting. But right. they're a client and, you know, you, you help out however you can. I was just booking flights actually this morning to uh, somewhere not exciting. I'm not going to mention it. The people probably live there, and it's uh, it's really dull to visit. Might right. be to live, you know. It's like I don't really want to go there, but it's a good client, and the people there, of course, have become friends. And I will go there. I will go there for you and do it. And I'm also going to try to do some of the work remote. And I do a fair amount of work remote, sitting from home or somewhere else pleasant. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, from what I'm, I'm understanding, and again, uh, just kind of helping the audience, you know, really understand is that, you know, you as a consultant get the flexibility to be able to travel and work with the clients that you want to and, and make an impact. It's not the point of, you know, focusing on money, focusing on like, you know, your next level of your careers, uh, not directly. I mean, of course, you be, I'm sure you'd recommend people want, want to kind of increase in their skills and their skill sets and move up in their career. But, it, you know, your drive is, and I think most people, are, is, is really to help, really to make a difference. It really is. I found in the surveys money was not number one. It was number three. You know, oh, it was really? Okay. And third. And I'm going to guess, and I'm pretty sure that the reason for that is we're well paid in this field anyway. You know, if we weren't well paid, we're just scraping by most of us, I think money would be a lot higher. Right. Number one reason was to be able to pick work that you find interesting and you know secondly was just freedom overall okay third was money 
it was a distant third. I was happy to see that. I was a little surprised, but not, not so much. Right. Maximizing income has, has never been my goal. Right. Kids in school, it's expensive. You know, money certainly matters. Right. I don't want to say it doesn't, but uh, it, for most people, it's not the number, the number one thing once they get going and once they're established. Okay. Well, it's good to know because, I mean, I think it's a good you know, expectation as people are looking at breaking into the cybersecurity field, understanding the field and understanding what their expectations should be versus kind of that outside perspective of, oh, I'm going to make, you know, six-figure salary. I'm going to be doing this all these amazing work. You know, to have that expectation, and you know, what's the reality of, of someone like yourself that's been in the industry for 30 plus years and knows the industry inside out, has some great friends across all, you know, verticals of this industry as well in all different domains, right? So you get to see it in the surveys that you do, right? You get to really kind of see the insight of that. I do it. And I love doing surveys. And, you know, every year I'll do one or two and on a, on a particular topic and just find out what people are thinking, what matters to them and so forth in our field. Right. And often I'm pleasantly surprised, like money's not the number one driver. Which is good. I mean, I know uh, surveys you see uh, online where they talk about the transition, like every, you know, when you're employed for a company, they have a hard time retaining their staff because they're transferring every two years. Right. And in some of the cases they've said is one is because of education and, and moving up in their field. The next is kind of, like you said, monetary, that they're making an extra five to $10,000 every time they make that jump. And, and you do see that sometimes. Yeah. You no, know, I see just as often people moving to places where they have more opportunities available. And often those include training. You know, some companies, will send their people to conferences and training classes and so forth. Others, not so much. And, you know, you'll hear the argument from management. Well, what if we send our people to training, you know, and, and they leave, right? gain these skills, they go somewhere else to get, to make more money. And, you know, the counter argument's like, what if we don't train them and they stay? Right. <laughs> right. And they become obsolete as we know with the technology, right? Right. The technology changes regularly. It freak so frequently. I mean, working with uh, as a value, working with a value added reseller for many years, you see all the new technologies and the manufacturers coming in, telling about the newest, greatest product they're selling, and it's constantly converting. It's constantly changing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's you know, you can't stay up to date on everything. You just can't. I know it's just so hard, right? Yeah, you need to specialize in some field. The body of human knowledge is increasing more supposedly every year than in the previous history of human existence. Wow. Kind of a stifling fact. Right? Well, you, you think wow. about like, the, all the information online and uh, everything available. Like, you know, before, you know, you used to have to go to the library. You have to go take a course. Now right. you, you go watch YouTube for a couple of hours and download all this information. Yeah, just amazing. Just looking at YouTube, it's amazing how much great information is there. And one thing I love doing is going to conferences, and some are pretty inexpensive and maybe local, you know, in most places. And just sitting in some talks that sound interesting, I may know nothing about, I might not even understand the title. Like, what is a zero trust network? I know I've heard of it. 
and just, you know, I just sat in a talk on zero trust networking, which was a buzzword I knew nothing about. Right. That was like, okay, I'm learning something here. Okay. And then I sat in a talk on forensics and I'm, I'm not a forensics person, although I've done some, it's like, all right, you know, just getting not just in this case, depth of knowledge, but width of knowledge, which is important as well. Right. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I know like you're, you're hearing all this new technology, new uh, topologies and new uh, theories are coming out about security and then AI and machine learning. It just keeps going and going, you know, like you said, wide and now trying to keep up on, you know, what is that? What is that new technology? What is that new solution? What's that security protocol that their people are using and what does it really do? What does it mean? How does it work? Yeah, and you know, you can't keep up with everything, but you can look at the interesting things and you've got to go deep somewhere. And right. you know, one thing that happens to a lot of us as our career goes on, we become less technical. Uh, that's neither good nor bad. You know, I used to sit in front of a keyboard all the time and I, I still do a lot, but I've got clients now where I've never touched their keyboards, where that would have and, you know, unheard of 10, 15 years ago, because 19% of the time in my consulting, I was sitting at the keyboard typing away. Right. And now it's, you know, I'm doing more strategic consulting and planning and security and so forth. And, and that's because I'm enjoying that. I think I'm making more of a positive difference there. And uh, I'd still like to keep technical. You know, I have this one idea and it's not mine. I get it from Stephen Northcutt, who's the, uh, the basically the CEO emeritus of the Sands Institute. And he got it from one, one of his mentors. And he called it Blue Jean Fridays. Now, a lot of times, not that much happens Friday afternoon. Either that, or like totally slammed trying to finish something. Right. And the idea is just going and, and playing with something technical that you don't normally do. Oh, wow. Okay. One Friday, I just fired up Wireshark, and I just started looking at some network traffic just for no reason other than just to get my hands dirty. And then, uh, oh, about a month ago, I, I broke out a soldering iron, and I hadn't used a soldering iron in two, three years. Didn't do anything real serious with it, but I was playing with something. Right. And I was playing with a forensic toolkit three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago on a Friday afternoon, I decided to just see what files were on my hard drive that weren't in the file system. Just things right. that had been deleted. What's there? And it, none of this is hard to do. And you can find, you know, directions and YouTube videos and most of it's open source software. It was like, I don't do this normally. I yeah. haven't done this in forever. Let's see how it works now. And it was just fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I think of forensics, I, I study a little bit about forensics. And even when I worked in uh, physical security for a while, watching when something happened and listening, watching the, the train of events that has to happen when an event happens in the scenario for forensics and for, you know, for them to collect the information, to collect everything, if just in case it has to go to court. So it's pretty interesting. It is pretty interesting in the chain of custody and getting yeah. that right which is not hard you just have to think about it and understand a little right. now you know that that leads me to, to an interesting thought you know mm -hmm. you never know what you're really going to be interested in doing till you start doing it right if you were in a vacuum i'd say i am utterly fa fascinated by forensics which incidentally is a growing field with lots of opportunity and i am 
I find forensics fascinating. But if I had to do it every day, it would probably drive me nuts. <laughs> okay. It's not looking for a needle in a haystack. You've heard this before, probably. It's looking for a needle in a needle stack. Right. You know, and I love the technology and I love to do it. But if I did that all the time, uh, I wouldn't make a good forensics person. Let me put it that <laughs> way. Even though I love the technology and learning about it, but yeah, I'm sure like, and it's it, like you said it, I think it takes a, a specific individual that in each of these fields, like in each of these areas or, or we call the domains of security, you have to have a passion about it. You do. And you've got to be open-minded because you never know what you're going to enjoy. You know, one thing I'm doing, which sounds horribly boring to me is I've been teaching CISSP classes uh, just a very few weeks a year, but I've got one coming up in Nashville. Now, I'd go to Nashville for almost anything to check it out because I haven't really been there. Right. You know, teaching the Certified Information System Security Professional Boot Camp, that sounds really dull. But guess what? I'm having fun doing it, which is totally shocking. Okay. Everybody in the group always has a common goal, pass that test, which is really difficult. Right. Looking at all kinds of, you know, interesting and not so interesting things, lots of legacy technologies. And, but you know what? All the old stuff does show up at sometimes, even things you haven't seen in 15 years, all of a sudden they're there again. I've got a couple of examples from recently. And uh, everybody, you know, I would have said, there's no way I want to do that. That would right. be dull and it sounds it but i'm gonna have fun doing it That's which awesome. me you know whereas if i was doing forensics for a month or two solid even though the technology excites me i'd be bored and you, you don't know until you try it you know and there's so many opportunities and different things that we can do in this field right so now you were bringing up three, I think it was three points when we, when I interrupted you to kind of go a little bit deeper into this topic, because it's very interesting to me. And I know I've had this question, that question about the industry and what's going on kind of direction. So what was your second point? Well, the first one was the ability to choose meaningful work. And, you know, right. a lot of different ideas on what meaningful work is that we enjoy. The second was freedom. And as a consultant, you have a lot of freedom. So, uh, you know, I. Now, do you have freedom? Like, as you, as you know, owning your own business, isn't there, you have to be mindful that you're not an employee of your company? You have to be very mindful of that. And uh, taking time off is difficult. And, but let me give you an example. I had a, uh, I had a gig in the Middle East. Oh, it was September, end of September, maybe. And it wasn't the most exciting place to go. And I worked long hours and I didn't see much and there wasn't much to see where I was. And I was like, okay, I don't really have any time to take off. I've got stuff to do, but I stopped in Greece on the way back for six days. Wow. In Greece, I got a place on the water. It was not high season. It was not expensive. And I worked five, six hours every day. And, you know, if you have five or six hours of productive time in an office, that's pretty good with meetings and everything. Right. And during the rest of the day, you know, I, I went and saw interesting things. I had fun. I walked on the beach. I went and I saw ancient Olympia. 
Uh, I went to ancient Mistras. I went to Sparta and found out people were a little warrior-like and not as friendly as those, but they were pretty cool. Right. You know, so I had the freedom to say, okay, well, I'm here. And I, I didn't have the freedom to stop working, nor did I want to. I've, I've been working on some interesting things. Right. Like, well, I'll stop here. And I can work here on the way home. You know, I can stop and I can work from here. Now, if I'd wanted, if I was more of a homebody, I'd be home right away and working from the house, which right. I very much enjoy doing as well. So now... If you're going to, then let's kind of talk about that. If you're going to be someone that's able to be a consultant on the road and be able to travel, what systems do you have to have in place to be able to do that? Like I'm, I'm sure you have a bookkeeper and an accountant. You probably have some sort of invoicing tool, uh, some project management tool that's maybe cloud-based or online that you can access anywhere. You, you'd be amazed at what I do. First of all, I do have an accountant. Uh, only talk to him a few times a year. Bookkeeper might not be a bad idea, but I do that all myself. Okay. Planning, I mainly write things down. I mean, okay. I'm a big proponent of paper, which amazes people. Okay. And writing things down is very useful. Uh, I'm thinking of hiring some sort of assistant to read my email for me. Actually, okay. email and filter it. You know, because a lot of a lot of requests that I get, they're stock answers to. Uh, just to dig through the spam and get rid of the semi-spam. Like, no, I do. Ted, Mr. Demopoulos will not be talking to you next week about qualified business leads. Right. <laughs> right. Almost spam-like and so forth. Uh, but actually, I, I automate far less than I do. Uh, now, I do have a web developer just to put things online for me and do graphics and things like that. I outsource projects whenever I need to. One thing I'm thinking of doing in the spring is actually probably doing some sort of a virtual summit on consulting or entrepreneurship in InfoSec and maybe talking to a dozen people or 18 people. And I'm definitely hiring somebody to handle all the infrastructure, the editing of the video, the putting it online, uh, handling all, all the speakers and organizing and synchronizing and uh, probably actually hiring my friend Mickey to do that in the UK. Who's done that for others. Like nice. how to do this. Just let me do the fun part. Right. The part, which I think I can do everything. Oh, it's technical stuff. I can do that. Right. You so much time. And I, that is the one thing that I struggle with. The fact that you only have so much time and I, like a lot of people, we want to do, everything right now you can't you've got to focus on the high value activities and i should be outsourcing more absolutely should be and uh, it's funny i've actually taken classes on how to outsource things right outsource that much more but yeah i'm, I'm getting better and people say for example ted you spend way too much time flying or setting up your travel plans right and I do, but you know what? I really like kind of, ha I like hacking at the uh, travel sites and saying, hey, I'm working here. Can I stop somewhere fun for an extra day or two or three? Right now I've got a uh, trip I'm planning to the Middle East and I'm actually working on that right now. And I'm like, okay, on the way back, 
where can I stop that might be fun for a few days? And I might stop in Thessalonica, Greece, right? or I might stop in Malta, on the island of Malta, for two wow. or three days. It's like, I'm flying overhand, head. Now, really, if you look, I bet I spent three or four hours looking at flights. Wouldn't it make sense to have somebody else do that? Yeah, probably for most of the flights, probably. Right. And Well, and well I, let's... I, I, Let's talk about that because I think uh, one of the things I saw was or I read was the four-hour work week, right? And you look at it and just on an average when they say like someone that makes $100 an hour just using these round numbers and if uh-huh. you pay someone 20 bucks an hour, right? You just spent three hours, which is $300 of your valuable time. Right. You could, you could hire some for 20 bucks an hour and they can do the exact same work and, and get that done for you and even give you a report on different areas for 60 bucks. Right, and while you're still working, or even just getting rest time for yourself. So, and you know that that makes perfect sense. And I certainly know the book, the Four Hour Work Week, very well. The one thing that's missed there, first of all, there's a slight exaggeration in the book. You're probably not actually going to have a four hour work week, but the concepts are sound. You know, focusing things, focusing on what's important, and. You know, just looking at travel and say, I'm spending too much time doing this. But guess what? I'm not doing it during my peak productivity times when I'd be getting something done. I'm doing it late at night over a beer when, you know, I might be watching TV instead otherwise. Right. <laughs> during my productive time. And actually, I, look, I find looking at flights and possible places go much more fun than looking at most, most TV. Right. Well, like you said, you get to travel the world, right? And that's what's exciting. I do. And you know, what if I suddenly decided I didn't want to travel? I, I have that control too. Right. Someone asked me a few months ago, they said, you know, I want to consult, but I don't want to travel. And you don't have to. If you limit what you're willing to do, you say, I'm going to limit my travel or not do any at all. That does limit your opportunities, of course, right? You can still be quite successful, right. but the specific question was, Ted, what if you decided you wanted to stop traveling totally? And I was like, oh, wait, wait a minute. What would I do? Uh, first of all, all the commitments I have, I would definitely do, right? I'm not going to cancel things I promised people. Right. And I'm going to live up where I am. I'm, I'm between New Hampshire and Maine most of the time. I've got a couple of places here. I'm multi-home. I'd probably get a place, I don't know, the Florida Keys, maybe spend six months there, six months here. There would definitely be a dip in income. Okay. I decided I'm not traveling anymore. No, I, no. Let me uh, ask you that. Why is that? Why would there be a dip in income with with the things like you said? Like, I mean, doing things over Skype, doing over things over Zoom, video conferencing. The the only reason is because the way I've set up my life and business right now is to have lots of travel. So there'd be a transitioning part. Right. Now. My two biggest clients, I do some remote work for them. I'd simply tell them, I'm going to do more w- remote work. And right. some work, some wouldn't. Uh, but certainly some of the clients that I have and some of the things that I do right now, today, do require, require travel. So there might be a six or eight month period, maybe less, where I transition to doing different kinds of work, new work, where I don't have to travel. Right. It would really be that there'd be a transition period because I'm traveling a lot now and absolutely loving it. So and I wanted to bring that up. I wasn't going. Yeah. And the reason why I brought that up and asked that question is because you're, you're showing a great example of transitioning in this industry. Like it's not fixed that you have to do one thing. 
you don't have to work at your home or you don't have to work in your office or your local area or vice versa. You don't have to travel all the time. You have control. You do have control. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I love working from home. There's a coffee shop in uh, Durham, New Hampshire, breaking new grounds. I like to go sit there for an hour or two in the morning and work on my laptop. And, uh, but I'd probably go crazy if I did that all the time. That's me personally, because, because I like to travel. I like to do, see and do different things, but that's absolutely not required. Right. I had one friend, now this was when I was living in Hong Kong and he didn't like to travel. In fact, he didn't travel. He only worked in Hong Kong. He was a consultant. Now, because he was in Hong Kong, because he was in like a major city, you know, if you were in the D.C. area or New York area or San Francisco or L.A., you could do zero travel and all, all local clients. And there was, he wasn't doing any remote work either. It was all local work. And it was interesting how he did all his marketing. Okay. Went to lunch with people. All he did. Yeah. Working together pretty closely, at least twice a week, you'd be like going off to have lunch with somebody else. That was really how he lined up work. That's awesome. It's the old, the old style of marketing now and, and networking where, you know, we see a lot of people on social media, you know, be it LinkedIn, be it Facebook, Twitter, you know, Instagram, whatever that may be. But there's still that relationship of just going to meet someone, going to take them out for a drink or going out for lunch or dinner. Oh, there is. Uh, on a recent trip, I, I flew back through, uh, through Switzerland. And it's funny, I'd, I'd never been to Switzerland before, although I could have told you how the Zurich airport was laid out because I knew the Zurich airport. Right. <laughs> Left it. And uh, somebody I knew for quite a while online, I, I physically met. Right. And it was interesting because it uh, looks like work's happening because we physically met. Right got another two ladies I've known for a while. One's in London. One is somewhere in North Carolina. Surf City, I think. We were physically at a conference together in, uh, in Phoenix about two, three weeks ago. Okay. And, and you know, it just came to us, you know, we have some complementary skills. We, we can help each other out work-wise. So we're like, we're basically creating or giving work to each other. And if we hadn't physically met, and we physically met, it took four or five times. And it was all of a sudden, it was like, duh, this is like a no-brainer. We should be working together. Right. You know, so I'm going ha- to be helping one of them out in the next couple of weeks with a project. They're going to be helping me out in the spring. And if we hadn't physically been together. Okay. Probably wouldn't have thought about this. We were just having dinner, just, you know, just having a good time and... It's like, hey, oh, you're doing that. I can help you with that. And right. One thing led to another. Yeah. You know, and interestingly on Twitter, somebody tweeted out last week or two, I can't remember when, recently, but have you ever met anyone you follow on Twitter? Like, yeah, all the time. You know. <laughs> right. I meet people I only know through social media all the time. And usually it's at conferences. Right. Yeah, same here. I mean, there's so many people again with the the exposure now with with uh, social media that I'll go to a conference, I'll go to an event, and I'll bump into people that I've I've only seen online up until that event. So it's it's pretty amazing how we're so connected now. Yeah, it is. I actually uh, 
I met somebody physically that I'd known well for like 15 years at least. And we met, we're like, have we met in person before? And we know each other pretty well. We right. work projects together. We follow each other on social media. It's sort of like, I don't think we have. But, you know, it's like I know what they look like and I know them, but meeting in person adds, adds another dimension. And sometimes it, that's actually what makes things happen. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. And like you said, like, it's just that, that connection, right? You're sitting there and you're across that person at that table and you'll be able to just have that conversation. Right. So it's so much different versus, well, now it's more than 140 characters, but you know, when you're tweeting to someone, you got these right. short little spurts. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. I know like you're talking about like consulting, you know, in, 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 in InfoSec security, why would someone connect with you and why would they want to, you know, get your information, your guidance? Um, that, that, that's a great question. And that would be a great survey. Why are people connecting with me? Right. I think a lot of the, a lot of the people that are connecting with me have connected with my thoughts and ideas. Got it. So either they've, they've seen me on a podcast or they've seen one of my webcasts or maybe read something that I wrote or one of my books or sat in one of my classes. Right. They've seen either some sort of a resonance of ideas they like my ideas, they align with them, or sometimes the total opposite. Like, what? That guy's crazy. What's he talking about? I'd never want to do that, but that's that's interesting. Right. Get, at least gets them into the conversation, right? Right. Now, what do you find is the top kind of three things that people connect with you about? Is it their career? Is it about certain technologies? What's kind of that topic that you find that most people kind of resonate to connect with you? That's a good idea. I mean, that's a good question. And I'd say it's more career and thoughts about where technology is going. Okay. Right. So the kind of the innovation specific technologies anymore, where it certainly would have been five and 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. And I'm getting that more now is as people are starting to transition the question about what do I do? Where do I go? You know, you know, I want to transition to cybersecurity. You know, where do I, where do I go? What, what company do I work with? What technology do I look at? And such a broad topic, like you said before, you really have to know what you're interested in. I can't tell you where you're going to go. You have to know kind of what you like and what you want to work in for the next five years. Yeah. And, you know, I find it, it, it's good to have some sort of a, a plan as to what you want to do and where you want to go. And historically, I have not been a great planner. I've just sort of, you know, just kind of gone with the wind and, you know, go with the flow when it's all worked out. And right. Because there's so much opportunity and there's so many interesting things to do on the planet. But I'm much more planning now where I want to go, where I want to be in five years and so forth. But you've developed the, the experience, right, through your you know, the technical knowledge as well as administrative controls and policies and procedures, you've kind of developed that over the, the 30 years you've been in the industry. Is that, that that's correct? That, that's true. Yes, absolutely. Now, if someone was going to break into the industry, someone's going to say like, you do a lot of teaching when you said about the CISSP, do you, do you guide them towards going to more blue team set up configuration of security? Do you guide them to more uh, red team kind of hacking and penetration testing? You know, it's, it's whatever people are interested in. Got it. If you're 
we're in a competitive world. There's right. a lot of opportunity, but it's competitive too. And if you're competing with somebody, and we always are to some extent, hopefully friendly competition, and they're passionate about what they're doing, and you're just like, yeah, they've got the edge, you know? Right. They've got the edge there in the long term. They're going to do better than you if they're passionate about it. So you should focus on things that you really enjoy that you're passionate about. And we never know what we're going to be fascinated about until we start doing it and are doing it for a little while. Now, do you have any recommendation for someone to find out how do they figure that out? I mean, as you know, it's so wide of all the, you know, potential careers and potential opportunities. How do they figure that out? How do they narrow that down? One thing that I found useful was I took a class that just was a, an enormous overview of everything. Right. Found there are areas I didn't even know existed. Just to give me kind of an overview. Uh, lacking that, because classes can be pretty expensive, going to a conference or just going online and just right. look. Looking at a bunch of stuff and just seeing what, what grabs your fancy, what grabs your interest, you know, and there's some stereotypes. Uh, if you're a young male, you probably want to be in penetration testing. Right. I had a group of 58 people in England recently, and they were transitioning into security. It was a program that was co-funded by, by the UK government, among others, and it was interesting all of the young males, everyone, let's say, under 35 and male, wanted to be a pen tester, like almost 100%. Right. Now, long-term, are they going to find that fascinating? I don't know. I mean, some for, some for sure. But right. I was with one of them earlier today, and uh, he's still going strong and loving it. Right. But, you know, being open-minded, looking at different areas and – you know, today it's so easy to set up a home lab with virtualization and to play with different technologies and so forth. You can play with pen testing, with forensics, and you know, just about everything, active defense tools, and right. it just interests you. Now, what about like, so we're talking a little bit about the technical, we're talking about like pen testing, things like that. What about soft skills? I know, you know, when I was doing an interview several years ago, one of the hiring managers said it was, it was hard for them to find someone that had both sides of the fence, where it was almost like finding a unicorn. He would get a lot of guys that were great and technical, then a lot of guys were great and their soft skills. But having that transition of both was almost like a unicorn to find someone that was technical but had that soft skills. Yeah, uh, it, it can be hard. And, you know, soft skills are not soft. They're the right. of most of us. You right. know, call them soft skills. And, you know, things like communication and being able to work well with each other on teams. And you know, these are all learned skills. Right. They're just learned. I mean, you learn to communicate better by communicating. You learn to speak better by speaking. You learn to write better by writing. You learn to organize and plan things, but by doing it somewhat. Right. And when I first started, you know, 30-ish years ago, my soft skills were atrocious. They were horrible. <laughs> you know? Okay. They really were. I was a typical geek, you know, hide me in a corner, give me a computer, and I'll, and I'll smile and be happy. Right. And I, I had to force myself to learn to communicate well. And it's easy. 
easy to communicate with you and other people like us. It's harder to communicate with other people. With you know, I spend a lot of time talking to attorneys these days. I can't believe how much because so much of security, you know, there's a legal aspect. Right, for sure. Um, and, and marketing people and business people and boy, that's harder. But it, it's a learned skill. You learn it by doing it. Right. Well, and I bring that point up is because I know you talk and bring back to the consultant conversation. I know you talk about, you know, people being a consultant and then kind of building that, you know, business and building that, you know, having the technical skill might not be enough because, you know, as you're getting out being a consultant, you have to do cold calls and networking and meeting people and presentations and all that soft skill where technical, like you said, just wants to pen test. Just put me in the room. Let me pen test. Yeah. You got to force yourself to get out there. You know, certainly having a customer facing role in a company, which I had initially helped me enormously, but even just going to conferences and talking to people and, you know, I, uh, I was teaching a class two weeks ago and I told people in the class, it was the last week, time runs together sometimes when you have fun. And most of the people there already knew the people come with friends or people from their company. And I was like, okay, it's lunchtime. Go to lunch with someone you haven't met before. Right. You know, bring your friends too, if you came with friends, but get to know someone else. Right. And these, these are skills you build, you know, it's not hard. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I'm just an introvert. I'm a classic introvert. I absolutely am. That doesn't mean you're not social. That doesn't mean you're antisocial. Right. People are like, well, I'm very shy. Well, we are all shy to some extent. Right. You know? And I I think like you said, I think it takes that time to practice and and understand. Like, And I think one of the things that I I hear and I, I believe in is if you're passionate about something and you're passionate enough about it, those things won't be obstacles anymore because you just love doing it. You love talking about the technology. You love talking about what you do. You love helping people. You love doing that. So now it's not this obstacle that you have to overcome that, oh, no, I have to talk to someone about this. No, I love it. It's something you love talking about. It's something you love doing. And, yeah, absolutely, Brandon. Yeah, and I think one of the things comes back to that point you said about finding what your passion is. If you're finding, I think, if those are obstacles and it's harder, you have to kind of reevaluate, like, is it something you really enjoy to do? Or is it something you're doing for other reasons? You're doing it for a paycheck. Are you doing it for kind of like everyone else is doing it? So why don't I do it? Like pen testing, like all the guys, you know, you get the kind of, I'm a pen tester. Yeah. But maybe it's not what you like to do. Maybe you like to manage a team. Maybe you Uh like to, you know, maybe you like to do uh, policies and procedures and documents and governance, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, follow what you, you enjoy and what you love. Yeah, it, it might take you a while to find what you want to do and what you love. And that doesn't mean you're not enjoying doing what you're doing along the way. Now, one of the, the questions that come up for me is when we're talking about this is what would be the kind of the top three things you tell someone about consulting? Like if I was going to come to you and say, you know, I'm considering consulting, what are kind of the top three things you'd recommend and advise for me to kind of look at it or, you know, to be mindful of? The first thing would be you have to realize if you're a consultant, 
you are running a consulting business. Okay. Running a business. Mm -hmm. I did not know that when I started. I found I enjoy hacking the business parts as much as the technology, but you're running a business. You're going to have to learn a little bit about that. Okay. So let, let's talk about that. Like what, what, you know, I'm say I'm starting out. What do I have to know about business? Like I'm, I'm an IT guy. I can just go knock on people's doors and, you know, sell them stuff. You know, what do I really need to know about business? Well, the two things that you need immediately is clients. Okay. Right? One or more clients. The most likely clients for anyone to get are people they've worked with before. Okay. And no doubt worked with some people before, right? They're the most likely to hire you because there's less risk to them because they've they've hired they've worked with you before. They they know that you're good. Right. So they have a kind of a relationship with you. Right. And you also need some way to accept payment. So you need some sort of a bank account. Now, if you're working, now since you're a business, you probably need some sort of a business account and that business needs some form. Are you going to be uh, a sole proprietorship? Right. It's a form of business. Are you going to be a limited liability corporation? Is it a partnership with somebody else? Are you going to be, are you going to incorporate and form a company? And there's, there's, there's positive and negative things about all of those. Right. You're also going to need to understand, you know, simple things like how to build people and how cash flow works. Okay. Say for example, you just start, you, you, you become a consultant and you've got a great client and they're paying you an incredible amount of money. And the agreement is you pay at the, you bill them once a month at the end of the month. Okay. Okay. Well, there'll be some sort of payment terms. Let's say they're net 60. That means they pay you in 60 days after they get your bill. Right. So now you work 30 days, you send them a bill. They've got 60 days to pay it. That's 90 days. Right. You haven't gotten any money yet, even though you're making a lot of money. Right. And that first payment always takes longer. There's always some kind of administrative snafu. Right. So maybe you're making great money, but you can't pay the bills. Right. Cash flow. And that, that's a business issue, right? You need to right. understand that's how business works and billing and so forth. So kind of your profit and loss sheet, right? Yeah. And, you know, the velocity of the money coming in. Right. And, you also need to understand that even though you might have, let's say, two or three great clients, they're not going to be clients forever. Right. I've had several clients that have lasted between eight to 15 years. Oh, wow. Good long time. But no one's going to be your client forever. You've got to be doing something constantly to raise your visibility. Right. Uh, and you do that by like doing good things that are visible, like, you know, talking at conferences, talking to you, Brandon, things like that. And right. what will happen is consultants will get really busy, a great project or projects they're working on. They can't imagine never being, never not being so busy. Right. 
but they're kind of like hiding away working, not being visible. And then all of a sudden the work's ended, the projects have ended, and you can't imagine being busy again. The golden days, when you had all this cool stuff going on, all this money coming in. And the reason is people aren't doing anything to market themselves. Right. Market is really just putting your best foot forward, you know, doing good things to help other people that are that are visible. Right. And, and constantly doing. And I think that was one of the things that I learned in business early was that you, know, you, you might have 10 clients, but like, you know, that doesn't mean you have 10 clients next month. That doesn't mean you have 10 clients the next month. So you always have to keep growing, right? And you always have to have to be able to be replenished just in case two drop off, three drop off, because like you said, it could affect your whole revenue model in your business, right? And especially if you have an overhead, you know, 15, 20, $30,000 a month in overhead, and you're bringing in, you know, 60, 70,000, right? And then I think one thing that really helped me and, and educate people was the difference between gross and net and taxes and what you actually bring into the company, what you pay, and then what you bring actually home into your pocket, right? After you pay, you know, the tax man and everything yeah. else. Where people, I had a, a colleague was saying like, oh, I make $400,000 a year. I'm like, okay, well, that's awesome. Congratulations. But does your company make four hundred thousand dollars, or do you make four hundred thousand? Right. And then and he came back saying, "No, no, I, I make it." And I said, "Okay, well, how much does your company make?" Well, that's how much I make. I'm like, "Okay, hold on, you don't make four hundred thousand. Your company makes four hundred thousand. You need to talk to your accountant because you have to pay taxes on that. You have to pay overhead, and then if you're not paying that, they're going to come at the end of the year and collect." Right. And, you know, compared to being an employee where the company invests in you, you need to invest in yourself in education and conferences. And, you know, I easily spend way over $10,000 a year, way over on conferences and education for myself. Now, because of your position and what you do, do you get some of that covered? Like, do some people pay for you to come out to conferences and speak and you, and you get to, you know, attend the event? That, that does happen sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Some of them for sure. Right. Uh, but I take the initiative with a lot of others. Right. I, there's the business conferences I'll, I'll often go to. I'm not speaking at those. I'm paying to be there. Uh, I was just at uh, two conferences this fall in September and October where I paid all of my expenses and I, I did speak at one of them. I didn't mm-hmm. speak at the other one, but yeah, sometimes I, I, I do have my expenses covered and I am paid to speak as well. Right. I wouldn't say the majority of the time. Right. And I think that's a, kind of a good point. If I'm giving a keynote, yeah, I'm being paid for that. Generally, I'm generally right. being paid well for that. Well, and the reason why I bring that up is because if someone's looking at consulting and like you said, they start to get out there and they start to do talks and presentations, right? There's a difference between education and certification versus, you know, going out and doing paid talks and presentations. Right. And sometimes they merge over and cross over a little bit, which is great. You get to go and, you know, attend the event, you get to meet the speakers and you get to meet kind of the other uh, manufacturers and people that are there, the vendors, you get to meet them all, which is great. But also you want to kind of look at your education budget too. Now, do you recommend a percentage that people put away for the year, like the 10%, 20% of their, their revenue for education and certifications? I don't, because it okay. varies so much. You right. know, varies so much. Certainly the most successful consultants I know, in fact, the most successful people that I know 
invest heavily in themselves. Right. And one of the reasons I don't suggest a certain percentage of, of money or, you know, revenue or income is because there's really two things you can invest. You can invest time and you can invest money. Right. Right. And there's an incredible amount of free things that are out there. For sure. Uh, I mean, a lot of conference talks are recorded. There's a lot of free training, uh, Cybrary and Coursera.org. And they've right. got phenomenal things, but everything requires an investment in time. Right. But there's also some more specialized training, which is sometimes very expensive. But guess what? It's more concentrated in stuff you can use right away. Right. So there's less investment of time generally or at least your time is more concentrated in practical things that, that you can apply, but there's an investment of money. Right. So you kind of have to know what your objective is for that year, you know, on your career path. Right. And generally when you start out, you're going to be investing time because you'll have more time than money generally when you start out. Now, when you get busy, here's an obstacle that I, I think I've heard more and more. When you get too busy, how do you manage that time to make sure that you're staying up to date? Especially like you said, when you're consulting as someone like yourself, you're consulting, you're meeting, you're traveling, you're doing that. How do you set that time aside to be able to educate yourself, to be able to, you know, keep up on the newest, greatest things and keep up to, you know, your consulting and what you're doing? I would like to say that I schedule the time and I put things on the calendar and I'm going to go to this event to learn things. I'm going to take this training class. or I'm going to watch this class online. This week's dedicated to it. I'd love to say that's true. That's partially true. Okay. Partially true. I had a week I was dedicated to working on, on, on something, actually taking an online class and learning something in January and I was very serious. And then uh, my friend Deb emailed me and said, Ted, I really need someone in Amsterdam this week. Is there any chance you can help me out and go? Right. And I for a one-line email back. Yes, I love you, Deb. <laughs> right. You know, I, I said I was going to do this this week, but I love Amsterdam and right. helping the client out too. Right. Oh, I do take time and dedicate it saying there's some dedicated learning time, but uh, it doesn't work as well as I say it. I have to be flexible. And I'm right. just, flexible. you know, one thing I do that I don't suggest everybody does necessarily, but I don't really watch TV. And nothing okay. against it. There's some great things on. I watch with friends, but I'll be watching training videos and stuff often at night. Right. You know, and uh, it's interesting. When I was interviewing people for my book, InfoSec Rockstar, one guy I interviewed, I talked to was John Strand right. from Black Hills Information Security, which, of course, is running the Wild West Hack Fest these days. One of the cooler, newer conferences I've gone to. Right. Interesting what he told me. When he's hiring and he hires, he's been hiring and growing a lot. He doesn't like to hire people that are gamers that play online games. Oh, okay. They often will obsess over it. And, you know, games can take all of your time. Now, there's nothing wrong with playing games online. Right. Endlessly. I used to. I don't because I have an addictive personality. Right. He'd rather have somebody geeking out over the geek stuff than geeking out over playing some game, which nothing wrong with it. It's fun. Right. 
but like you said, I mean, you get into those games or even like when they say Netflixing, right? When you uh, Netflix all, you know, a whole series, you spend like four or five hours of watching, you know, you know, five, six episodes. And then, yeah, you've, you've lost that time because you got engaged. Well, gamers are no different. You're starting to get that level and the next level. And all of a sudden yeah. four or five hours are going by and, you know, it's one, one or two o'clock in the morning. They have to get up at six. Yeah. Now, there's nothing wrong with having hobbies and interests and so forth. And I absolutely have plenty of other interests in life, you know, right. that I spend time on. You should. That's healthy. Right. You got to have that happy life, work-life balance. Speaking of Netflix, this just happened. I have a Netflix account. Okay. I use it. Uh, this happened yesterday. I was like, what's the password? I haven't used this in like two years. I don't know. What's, what's the password? I have to ask my son because I didn't know how to get into it. <laughs> and I wanted to go watch something. In it. And I do sometimes, but it's usually with my kids. Right. You know, watch something, we'll watch it together. Right. And that makes sense. I mean, I think myself, I've, I've got into more documentaries. Right? When I'm having actually downtime, downtime, I try to watch more documentaries than actually watching you know, series or anything along that line. Cause I find that, you know, like you said, you're trying to educate yourself. You're trying to keep your mind kind of growing versus, you know, getting to some mindless TV. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it's interesting because, uh, hopefully my audio is still there. Right. You're, no, your audio's, you're still good. Okay. I, I am such a geek sometimes. Uh, I drink, right. I, drinking i mean i'm not an alcoholic but you know what i think considered to be a great bar one where i learned something from the bartender right you know i was at i found this interesting tiki bar in kalamata greece last month and online they claimed they were tiki nerds like tiki nerds and i went there and i sat at the bar and I learned so much from this guy about making, you know, festive tropical drinks. So even when I'm just like sitting in a bar on vacation, I'm learning things. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Now, going back into the consulting, uh, one of the questions I, I had was about, uh, what about clients? How do people find them? So you got like, we talked about the education, we talked about building the business, we talked about going that. Now you've got everything set up. You're, you're technical. You've got everything. You've got your soft skills, your hard skills. How do I find clients? How do I get them to knock on my door, give me a call? There are so many different ways to find clients. I'll, I'll tell you the easiest, right? Because there's all kinds of things you can do, including volunteering for conferences and other things and speaking and writing. The most likely people to hire you are people you've worked with before. And okay. if you've been doing things for a few years, whether it's three years or 30 years, there are going to be some people you worked with, with for whatever reason, you just love working with them. Maybe right. off, maybe it was a fascinating project. Maybe you worked together. Well, who knows what? Make a list of them. Where are they now? Reach out to them. Now, if you are, say, I'm going to go and start consulting, you know, soon or now, or I've started, let them know. Mm -hmm. If not, you know, just, just connect with them. Just say, hey, remember when we did this? That was like one of the greatest projects I worked on or, you know, whatever appropriate. Just be honest there. Mm -hmm. It would be great if we could work 
together again someday. So about a year ago, I was teaching my in successful InfoSec consulting class. And, and I suggested this to people. We're just having a conversation. I was like, I should do this myself. Even though I'm not work, looking for work, you're kind of, you should always be looking. Right. I reached out to five people. And now nothing specifically has happened yet, but we're like starting that conversation. Right. You know, like the, I would love to work with this guy, Max, again. I'd love to work with this guy, Randy, again. In fact, one of them's getting married. He wants to know if I'll fill out the paperwork so I can actually marry him and his girlfriend. Okay. That's not exactly consulting, but, you know, we're making a good personal connection. Right. And I have given some work to one of these people. I did outsource some work. So it's kind of worked in the opposite direction. But the most likely people to hire you are people you've worked with before. Okay. They need to know you still exist, right? You need to like communicate. And for other people you've never worked with, there's a great quote. No one's ever hired anyone they've never heard of. Right. You just need to do things to be visible and let people know that, that you're available okay. and hammer them over the head. As a consultant, what you're trying to do is, is help people. That's what you right. do right? You add value. And you're looking to see where can you help? Where can you add value? Okay. So now with that, so you say you're new to the industry, you've just kind of bro broken into cybersecurity. You've contacted your friends, your family, you know, a couple of clients that you've worked with. What's next? Where do I go? Where do I go from there? Because you've seen some of these people where they write down a list of maybe 10 to maybe 100 people. They start contacting them and they're not interested. Yeah, we've got someone. We, we know someone that does that. Now they get through the list. They're at the 99th contact, right? Now they're going, uh-oh, what do I do? Yeah. Well, you start contacting people before you need to, first of all. Right. right. Start network. You don't network when you need something. Right. So you start this ahead of time. You just keep doing things to raise your visibility, to keep yourself in front of people. And, you know, maybe, like I talked to my friend Max, he was one of the people I would really love to work with again someday. We've worked in the distant past. He's got nothing for me to work with him on now, nor do I have anything for him to work on with me. Right. But just keeping that conversation going, right? Just like reaching out, pinging each other, saying happy birthday. Uh, here's a great time to reach out to people. Say, just you know, sending them a happy holidays message and so forth. How are you doing and so forth. It's not a made-up reason to contact anybody. And, you know, you've got to be honest and sincere. Right. You don't reach out to somebody and say, you know, Happy New Year. How, how are things going? Hope you're doing well. If you don't care what they're doing. Right. There, you don't want to work with them. But hopefully you care about most people. But So let, let's talk about that because I, I think that's one of the challenges that people get into is that desperation, right? They call in people because they need, they need the deal. They need the sale. They need the, the business, right? And we miss that, the connection, like you said, and I think you bring up a good point is that you lose the, you work with, and this is great. And I love you that you keep talking about this. You work with people that you like and your friends. They become friends over, but some people don't realize that they're thinking people as numbers. 
you know, that's a $10,000 deal. That's a $20,000 deal. That's a $30,000 deal. You know, I got to get this deal. I got to close this. Like, you know, and they kind of go through that, you know, always be closing, you know, kind of mindset, right. And the sales, right. right. And I think, you know, one of the things that you're talking about, and I think I love to kind of go a little bit deeper is that having the right mindset when you're doing this, right. Having the mi- mindset when you're contacting these people, what was some key points you'd recommend for that to have that right mindset as you're reaching out? Well, the mindset is that you're trying to help people, right? Do you have anything of value to offer? You're not looking for something from them. Now, practically speaking, if you're consulting for a long time, you're going to have some slow periods, right? I've been consulting for 30 years in January. I've had some slow periods. That's, there's no way that's not going to happen. Just like if you're a full-time employee, you're going to have some downtime maybe unemployed or underemployed or not happily employed for a period of time. And you want to try to minimize those times. And the way that you do that is just by being out there and being in contact with people. I've got a friend who over the last 30, 40 years, he's older than I am. He's been in the industry longer than I have. He's always had a good job. And when he's had jobs that used to be good and aren't anymore, for whatever reason, company having a bad time or being bought out by someone else, he's just always been out there and in touch with other people constantly. He's always had another job waiting for him somewhere. Okay. So he's always prepared, right? Always prepared for that next step. Always prepared. Hoping, you know, and I don't think he's ever had a job that he didn't want to keep forever. Saying, this is awesome. I hope I'm here forever, but conditions change. Right. You might have a bad boss or that the industry that you're working isn't doing well. You're working, you know, you're doing security for a meat packing plant and mad cow disease is rampant or, you know, whatever. Right. No, no, and, and like you said, it's just that I think, again, just to reiterate for people that are listening is that it's about the relationship. It's about the connection. It's about, you know, taking it slow, not, you know, three contacts and then move on three contacts, you know, you email them, you phone them, you know, you email them again, then you move on, right? Creating that long-term relationship ongoing. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. You know, and it could even be, Somebody wants to hire you. They'd love to hire you. You haven't discussed it, but they don't have anything. Right. Next time they hear from you, it's like, oh, it's Ted again. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe like the 30th time, they're like, hey, I got something you can help me with. Can you help me with this? Because conditions are right. Right. Well, that's what I do. I'm a consultant. I help people. Right. Now, have you ever found that the chain of events that you might be talking to Debbie but Debbie doesn't have any work for you, but she knows Stacy, but Stacy knows Ben. And then Ben has some work for you. Yeah. Very often. Um, referrals are a great way to get work. And I suggest you ask for referrals. Now mm-hmm. there's really two things. One is if you're already working with a company, you can get referrals internally. And you know, it's, Let's say you're working with a company, you're working with this department. You could always ask the person you're working with, hey, can you introduce me to so-and-so that you know, does what you do in this department or in this region? Or can you introduce me to your uh, 
your equivalent or the person that does what you do in Asia Pacific or whatever. Right. Or, you know, hey, is there anyone else in this organization you can think of that I can help? And, you know, if there's anyone else that I can help, you know, just keep me in mind, send them to me or connect us. Okay. Also, another thing you could do is when you normally come in contact with professionals in your normal life, your doctor, your dentist, the person that does your taxes, you know, anyone like that, remind them, like, hey, you know what I do? You know, I work in computer security. You know, you see a lot of people. If there's anyone that I can help that you run across, send them to me. You know, or us. Yeah, and I think uh, you're reminding people is that, you know, work with your, your, your network, work with the people that are around you that you're constantly connected with, right? And like you said, keep reminding them, you know, as you're, you know, working with them, you're, you're doing services with them, just remind them what you do. Yeah, and you know, you're, you're looking to help people. Mm-hmm. And you know, that just telling other professionals when you normally deal with them can be really, really useful, it can really work. I don't do that that much because I'm in rural New Hampshire and there's not a lot of work for me in rural New Hampshire, but I, I probably should do it more. Right. You know, because, well, for example, I just saw my primary care a few weeks ago in a, uh, where was I? It was a sushi restaurant. I was actually surprised. He recognized me. I'm in a smallish town, you know? Right. <laughs> okay. And he knows what I do. And he asks me every time. And I always do say, yeah, you know, if there's anyone I can help, just send them my way. Right. Now, because I'm in rural New Hampshire, there's not that much in InfoSec. Right. But I'm not asking to find work. I'm asking to see if I can help people. And you do get work that way. That does happen. I have had people refer me. I've even had old high school friends I reconnected with at at reunions who I told them, it's like, yeah, you know, it's what I'm doing. Right. If I help anybody, you know, let me know who have actually ended up referring people to me. Actually, high school friends I hadn't seen in over 20 years in one case. Oh, wow. Yeah, and just, it comes from anywhere, right? Like, as you know, as like being a consultant, business can come from any opportunity. Yeah, it can. And you just got to be open to it. Now, last question I have for you is, so we're talking about consulting. We've kind of gone through the range. Now, what about, you know, how much do I charge? You know, you're looking at, you know, what's kind of a rate I should be looking at? You know, how does that all work? Great question. Now, two things. First of all, there's always, there's always so-called market price, what other people are charging. And that's going to be a range from high to low. Most people charge within that range and usually in the middle. If you charge less, people are going to wonder like, you know, what's wrong with them? Why are they charging so little? If you're charging more, although you can sometimes legitimately, a lot of times like, why, why should I pay them more when these other people charge this price? Now that's the I mean, absolute numbers did it. Right. And, uh, you know, you can try to look up what other consultants make online and so forth. And you can sometimes find some information, although that's not as easy as, for example, finding the prices for plumbers in New York City, which is all online. Right. 
But here's a good benchmark. Take the salary you make on a yearly basis. Let's pick some round numbers. Let's say it's $100,000. Okay. Okay, you work uh, 2,000 hours a week, 2,000 hours a year, excuse me, right? 50, hour, 50 weeks times 40-ish hours. That's okay. typical in the U.S. and Canada. So that's, let's see, 50 bucks an hour, right? Roughly, yeah. Not, not including, you know, uh, benefits and holidays and, and so forth. You've got to at least double that. Okay. More like triple that. So I like daily rates myself. That's going to be eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars a day. Then that's absolute minimum, because people are only hiring you when you need when they need you. They're not carrying you when they don't need you. You're taking more risk. You deserve more reward, and you're paying for things like conferences and vacation and insurance all yourself. Right. So take that hourly rate and at least double to triple it Okay. Up with that base rate. Now, that works pretty well in our field. If you're in some other field and you do that and you come out with some outrageous price nobody will ever pay, well, you're probably overpaid, right? Right, <laughs> right. true. You know, if you're like a dog walker and you're making $200,000 a year as a professional dog walker for some rich person, they're paying you 200 grand a year, you'd say, well, I should be making, uh, you know, maybe two or $300 an hour walking dogs. I think I'll leave this full-time dog walking job. You're right. probably not going to make it because you're probably overpaid. Right. Oh, no, tr True. I think one of the things that I heard uh, when I was starting my business was figure out your, your expenses and add that up like for your day, for your week, for your month, add that up, you know, into the year and then look at how much that is for the year. So that's your, your losses, right? Figure that out. And now, now you know what your floor is. You have to make minimum of that to keep the lights on. If you don't make that, then you're not, you're not going to be able to keep the lights on. Now, like right. you now, like you said, now double that, if not triple that, because you got to pay 12, uh, 13 to 25% in taxes, right? Depending on if you have um, you know, any type of uh, legal fees, you have uh, certifications and requirements, you have anything like that, you have to look at that overhead, that artery goes out, right? So you do all that, and then you kind of look up, you have to make at least that to be able to cover, you know, just your, your business going now, like you said, you need to meet money put in your pocket. Well, if that comes out to $25 an hour, roughly, or, you know, if you're working, you know, five hours a day, that's, you know, a hundred dollars, right? So, or four hours a day, and that's a hundred dollars, you know, just using round numbers. If you're doing that and that's your floor, well, you got to make at least 250. You got to make at least, you know, $500 a day to be able to be profitable and be able to survive, right? Or you're literally, like you said, like, and we talked about before, you're an employee of your company, right? You're just sacrificing, you know, trying to keep the lights on and not actually making any profit. Right. Just get by. There's, there's a certain floor. You need to calculate those minimum expenses. Yeah. And that's kind of the one I learned. And it was really, you know, eye-opening when I first opened my business because, you, you know, you get into consulting, you're like, oh, I'm going to make so much money. But then you don't realize 
all the expenses and overhead that also takes a big chunk of that rate that you're making. Oh yeah. So then also now you're like, Oh, okay. Now I have to make sure I'm making more money. I'm charging the right amount of price because even if you're looking at the industry standard, sometimes the lower amount is not, you know, you're looking kind of be uh, competitive in the industry. The lower amount might not be the best thing because those people might not be building themselves correctly. So if you go into that rate, that lower rate, thinking, oh, I'm just going to beat everyone out in the lowest price, they might not be able to keep the doors open either. Yeah. You, you don't want to compete on price. Right. You want to be competitive. You want to deliver a great value, but you don't want to be cheap. Somebody will always do the job cheaper. There is a great there's a picture, and it shows shows a big guy getting a tattoo. And the tattoo artist is there, and they have this beautiful picture they're looking at. And it's like this stick figure they're putting on this guy's back. Right. The title says, someone will always do the job cheaper. Right. Doesn't mean doing it any good, right? Right. You can't be competing on price. I mean, Walmart competes on price, and we're not Walmart. We're not selling used cars or used camels. And right. you know, inexpensive right you want to be a great deal regardless of what you're charging though immense value that's the most important thing regardless of the price that you're charging but it's got to be a certain minimum minimum price so you can get by and i've had consultants who start and they're so they're making so much money but they're barely covering their expenses right right and that's i think just having that conversation which is great is understanding your numbers, understanding it inside and out as a business. And you said that like from the start is that it's a business. It's just not, you're not an employee. You're not just going to work. It's a business. You have to understand the facets of business. Right. Now, one thing we didn't cover. So you're going to open up a business. What about like legal documents? There's things like that, that we have to look at, like non-compete NDAs, you know, What's some of the forms and things that these guys need to know about when being a consultant? You know, you will have contracts when you are a consultant. Mm-hmm. That said, some of my best consulting clients, we've, we've worked on a handshake or an email. That's not necessarily recommended. However, if you're consulting for a large organization, let's say IBM, okay, you're not going to sue IBM if they don't pay you. Right. It's just because they have a team of lawyers and you don't. So practically speaking, you want to work with people you trust. Having contracts in place is a really good thing and often is required. You want to have an attorney look at those contracts. Right. You do. Now, my, my attorney, unfortunately, he's passed away. So he can't tell me what to do anymore. My, my long-term attorney, he'd let me sign an NDA without looking at it. If it looked reasonable to me, because non-disclosure agreement is typically straightforward. Right. Anything else he wanted to look at. Right. Now, lawyers are expensive and can be very worth it. A lot of times what I've done is I have a lot of friends that are attorneys. I'll get them to look at things sometimes. Uh, or you can retain an attorney. What'll, one organization a lot of people like is called Legal Zoom, Legal Z O O M. I haven't used them myself, but many of my friends have, and they will review a contract 
quite inexpensively. Okay. Also incorporate incorporate you for I think a hundred dollars or ninety nine dollars. They, they they do what's legally required, right? And you know they you have a lawyer looking at it because right. you leave the legal things to the lawyers. Right. And when it comes to like paying taxes, I leave that to my accountant. Sometimes right. tell me what to do. You don't want a creative accountant, for example. Right. Right. And one thing I'd recommend too, and I, I found this with uh, being in, in Toronto, is understand your numbers. So when you're working with your accountant, they don't go a little bit awry. I've had clients and, and colleagues that didn't know their numbers, didn't know their business, didn't kind of take reports of the year and be able to audit their books. And just things weren't adding up. The journal entries weren't adding up. So knowing your numbers, right? Knowing your business, knowing how, where, where's everything going because it's good to have them do your books and it's good to have them account. But if you don't know it, you know, these are people that are, are affecting your business. So you got to know what's going on with your business. Just don't kind of hand it off and, you know, keep a blind eye. You do. And that's one of the hard things for me because I'm not good with finances. I'm just not naturally good. I'm not that interested either. I'm interested in making the money doing interesting things. Right. But I, I make myself watch that. I make myself pay attention to that. And I will, I will never be fascinated by it, you know, but, but it's important. You have to pay attention. It's part of running the business, having some oversight, even if you've outsourced that. Right. If you outsource something, you're still responsible for it. Right. You need to understand the basics. Right. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things that even for myself with business is just learning how to audit your books, running reports making sure everything's balancing out, right? Because I've seen, you know, like I said, I've even worked with a couple of colleagues that they asked me to take a look at their books and sure enough, their balances were off. And you, you, you audit the books and you do some, like we were talking about forensics investigation and you right. find out, like there's journal entries that were entered in that shouldn't be entered in. But why? Like, why are these entered in? And then being able to highlight them in the report and sending it back to the accountant going, okay, why did you do this? And then hearing them going, uh, oh, I, I don't know. Uh, we were just trying to balance the books, but why? Why was it so far off? And then you having that. So, I mean, I think it's important, like we're talking about going back to consulting, is knowing your numbers, knowing your business, right? Because there's these things that, you know, as you're making a good amount of money, these things could happen. Yeah, you know, and uh, this is not a good story, but it highlights this. I was renting office space for a while when my kids were younger. And on the same floor, there was a, a small company renting office space and they were in the real estate area. And the, uh, the owner of the company had a financial guy that he hired. I thought they were partners. Everyone thought they were, but the financial guy was, uh, he was an employee. He was hired as sort of a chief financial officer. Although he didn't have that term. It was a small company. He ended up embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, wow. Company, which was money out of this guy, Don's pocket. Right. And Don was not good with finances. So he hired this person to do finances for him and just didn't look at them at all. Paid no attention at all. Wow. And the scary thing is the guy that embezzled the money and it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. I used to hang out with, I used to, you know, we're in rural New Hampshire. We were both in the office. We'd go across the street a couple times a day to the general store to get a cup of coffee. And 
We'd have a couple beers together on Friday. He was an insider stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars because this gentleman, Scott, didn't even look at the books, didn't right. even pay any attention. Right. Please pay some attention. Even if you outsource it to an employee or an accountant or you got to pay attention. Not that you're going to be paranoid, you're going to be ripped off, but you just got to know what's going on. Well, I think that brings us back to the security principles, right? When you talk about like, you know, rotation of duties, rotation of vacations and things like that, kind of brings you back to that psychology of, you know, we're in cybersecurity. You might want to have some redundancy, some checks and balances in your own business, even if it is, you know, you doing that, like, cause you're maybe a solo entrepreneur or solo consultant, even you spending a Friday afternoon, you know, taking the Friday off once a week and doing a little bit of an auditing on your business to see what's going on with your books, what's going on with your, your numbers, what's going on with, you know, your social media, all that just to, you know, check in because if you don't know what's going on, you can also let things go. And if you do it weekly for the first 90 days, if you're working with someone new, at least that audit, you can kind of see, and then you can do once a month and you can kind of, you know, be a little bit more lenient. Absolutely. Brandon. Right. And this is kind of our field. This is what we're, we specialize in. If we're as business owners, if we're letting things go, then we're getting caught then we're not doing our due diligence. And that, that's easy to do. Yeah. And you've got to guard against that for sure. Awesome. Now, was there anything else that we, we didn't cover, Ted, that you wanted uh, to talk about? No, it's just great to talk to you and, uh, you know, great to catch up and wonderful conversation. I'm looking forward to finishing up my book on successful InfoSec consulting. Now, when's that coming out? Good question. It will be coming out next year. I'm hoping mid-year. Okay. I've got 40,000 words in draft so far. Oh, wow. 40 to 50,000, but my are these draft. <laughs> okay. So uh, what, what's, what's going to be the, the premise of the book? You know, cause I know with InfoSec was kind of giving, you know, the InfoSec rockstar was kind of telling you about, you know, how to be a, a celebrity, a, you know, a rock star mm-hmm. in the industry. So what are we supposed to expect from this book? I positioned this book for three kinds of people. Some people, they want to consult. I want to be a consultant. That's one category. We've got other people like, hey, I'm not so sure. I want to try consulting on the side along with my job. And some people do that long-term. Some people do that transitioning to being a consultant full-time. And, you know, we talk about conflict of interest issues and how to overcome them and so forth. And often you can, often it's easier than you think, not always. Right. The third category, category, which is an enormous category of people, are people that just want to keep their options open in case a consulting opportunity comes up. That's fantastic. So simple example, my friend Pierre Noel, he was the CISO of Microsoft Asia. Okay. Then he was the chief information security and privacy officer for Huawei, all of Huawei globally. Wow. And then this great, fascinating opportunity came up in Switzerland. He was like, wow, I would love to do this. But guess what? It wasn't a full-time job. It was a consulting opportunity. Right. Like, well, I've consulted before. I know how to do this. And he dove on the opportunity. It was great. He thought it would be great to move his son to Switzerland because son speaks French and wanted him to learn German. And 
wanted to be more 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 multicultural than just living in Asia Pacific. And it was right. a great opportunity for multiple reasons. And he knows how to be a consultant. So he could right. die, but he didn't have to think twice. That's awesome. Sometimes that great opportunity there, that thing you really might want to do that just ma- just magically comes up. Or well, not magically, it happens because because you're doing good things, right? And people right. know you're ready to take advantage. That's awesome. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited cause I read your first book and like, yeah, I was just, it was interesting to see and, and amazing to see the mindset around becoming an InfoSec star. you know, what you need to do. And if anyone's, you know, looking to break in the industry, I recommend highly you, you go to Ted's website. Now is the book still available on your website. Uh, it's not, but it's available at, at Amazon and Chapters and Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and Perfect. Yeah, you can guys, you guys can do, and I'll put in the show notes as well the the link for that as well. Uh, now, easiest way to to find you is uh, on your two websites. I hear successful uh, in infosexconsulting dot com as well as uh, uh, demop dot com. Is that your yeah, two websites? D-E-M-O- demop.com as much of my last name as anyone can spell.com right and then you're also on twitter facebook and youtube as well yeah and and since we've started speaking brandon this time maybe a few weeks ago it's it's official now that my uh i'm going to be running a successful info consulting class with sans institute on large events okay so now they can can they register that on sans or that's right on sans.org. Yeah. And that's as of extremely recent last couple of weeks, we've come up with that agreement. Now, do you update your Twitter? Uh, can people follow you on Twitter to kind of find the newest and greatest updates? Absolutely. I'm on, I'm, I'm on Twitter almost every day, some days almost incessantly. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. So yeah. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll put that in the action, the show notes as well. So if people want to follow uh, Ted, I'll give you uh, Ted's social sites as well as uh Twitter, Facebook, as well as YouTube. So perfect. Well, thank you so much, Ted, for your time and all the great insight about being a consultant, kind of looking in the cybersecurity field. Thanks, Brendan. It's great to talk to you again. I hope we run into each other in person with before too many moons pass. Well, I'm sure we are. And you said uh, you're thinking about going to the uh, Atlantic Security Conference in Halifax? I'm hoping to, yeah. Yeah, well, let me know. Uh, we'll bump into each other there. I'm going to plan out going there as well for the, the upcoming one in 2020. Great. Well, thank you. It's wonderful to talk to you again. Thanks, Ted. Okay, so what did you think of that podcast? You know, did you have any questions that you wanted to ask Ted? All the information from this podcast is going to be in the description below. Uh, contact information, uh, this, the SANS link. Uh, that he's talking about from his course, just everything that you want to maybe ask, feel free to you know message Ted and, and ask him any questions. Uh, I highly, highly recommend you share this podcast out with your colleagues and friends, anyone in cybersecurity, just so they can have in mind of what's going to take if they want to become a cybersecurity consultant, or if they're already doing maybe some things that they might want to know from someone that's been doing it for you know over 30 years. So just don't forget, software is hackable. Being connected is vulnerable. I'll see you, see you next daily podcast.